listening to the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, everybody. My name is Kevin McGuire. I'm the host here of the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast, talking Penn State football as we get ready for not just the holiday week, but of course, game week. Penn State is finally getting a chance to step back on the field, taking on the Memphis Tigers in this weekend's Goodyear Cotton Bowl. We'll take a look at some of the latest updates for that game going into this weekend's preparations as the Penn State Nittany Lions head south down to Texas to get ready for the big game. But we also need to recap some final thoughts from the early signing period. And in the spirit of Festivus, we're going to have the airing of grievances later on in the episode for a little bit of holiday fun. And I want to hear some of your airing of your grievances with us on Twitter. Best way to do that is to connect with us on Twitter at LockedOnNittany. You can also check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany. You can also make sure you're subscribed to our podcast on all of the favorite podcasting apps out there, such as iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio. We also have an RSS feed, so you can add us to any other podcasting app you may be using that I haven't already mentioned. And of course, if you are subscribed, please take a minute to rate and review so you can let us know how we're doing, how we can improve the show moving forward, and it does help promote the show on those various podcasting platforms. So we appreciate the support. Got a lot of stuff to get into in today's episode, so strap in, get some eggnog, and let's get into today's episode on the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast. We did not have an episode last week regarding the early signing period, recapping everything that went down for Penn State in the class of 2020 as it was being signed and following the James Franklin press conference to recap everything that happened with his most recent recruiting class. But I will reiterate a couple things that I expected to be the case. We knew pretty much that Penn State had their class pretty much in tow. There wasn't a whole lot of speculation. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, mystery surrounding this class. Uh, there could always be a surprise player that flips to Penn State or maybe flips away from Penn State. But that wasn't really the case this year. It was a pretty silent uh, signing day as far as surprises are concerned, which is a good thing, I think. Uh, obviously, if you can get some surprises that help your cause, that's always a good thing. But this recruiting class coming into the early signing period looked like it was going to be pretty stable from everything that I can gather. And that certainly played out for Penn State, which is good. You don't want to have a whole lot of drama on signing day, as some other schools have certainly experienced uh, on early signing day, especially USC. Uh, but Penn State was in a pretty solid condition going into signing day, and they're certainly in the same situation coming out of it. So, as a whole, Penn State brings in a good, high-quality class. A lot of talent, a lot of depth across the board here. It's not one of the top 10 classes, but it is the number 13 class in the 24-7 sports team composite rankings. You know, And as far as I'm concerned, number 13 is pretty darn good. Okay, Obviously, you see what Ohio State continues to do with recruiting, and there's a reason why Ohio State is on a different level right now, and a lot of it has to do with the recruiting and the player development. Uh, Ohio State is the school that every school in the Big Ten, including Penn State and Michigan, is trying to catch up to. And it's not easy to do that. Certainly, Ohio State has been on that level for so long, and it doesn't look like it's going to be slowing down. So it is an extra challenge for Penn State and Michigan and Nebraska and Michigan State, Maryland. So all these schools are trying to close that gap with the Buckeyes. But you know, as far as Penn State's recruiting class is concerned, it's going to ensure that this is a program that's going to have a lot of good talent for the number of years to come. And that's always a good spot to be in because you're just continuing to add depth to your roster at multiple positions. And there's a lot of good potential with this class. I think this is a class where you may not have 
too many playmaker or difference makers in the class, but you have some good four-star talent. You've got some really good three-star talent that can certainly develop and be contributors, as you've seen a number of programs able to do. And Penn State tends to do pretty well at that. So you look at this class, and they're bringing in a lot of four-star players. There's, I'm going to count them up for you right now. We've got uh, Curtis Jacobs, a linebacker out of Maryland. He's a four-star player. Theo Johnson, tight end. Uh, Enzo Jennings, safety, four-stars. Keandre Lambert, wide receiver, four-star. You know, we talked about the need for some good playmaking wide receivers. Maybe Keandre Lambert's going to be one of those guys. Uh, Keziah Holmes from out of Florida, a four-star uh, all-purpose back. Uh, you got Cole Brevard, defensive tackle out of Indiana. Keziah Izzard uh, from Heightsville, Maryland, defensive tackle, another four-star player. Uh, Kevon Lee uh, from American Collegiate Academy in Clearwater, uh, four-star running back. You got Peter Washington out of Texas, another four-star wide receiver. Jaden Dodden from Connecticut, a four-star wide receiver. Uh, defensive end four-star Zaria Fisher from Aliquippa. And Jimmy Christ is your first three-star player. So I just mentioned how many four-star players according to the 24-7 uh, rankings. That is a lot of four-star talent, if you're being honest with yourself. And that is a tremendous uh, sign for where this class is potentially going to be. Again. No real five-star players, and you know maybe there's a couple four-star players out there that are still a little bit higher on some of these position rankings, but Penn State signed in a pretty darn good class. And I think with the, the future outlook for Penn State as a whole in 2020, it already looked like it was going to be pretty promising given the developments that we've seen this season. Even with a couple of the players that are heading off to the NFL or graduating, there's still a lot of good young talent on this team, especially on the offense, to be excited about moving into next season. And you add this recruiting class to the mix, you have some more good young talent that I don't know necessarily where they're going to contribute or as soon as they're going to contribute, but with 11 of the 27 players coming into Penn State going to be early enrollees, that's always a good sign because you get a chance to get them involved with the off-season conditioning, the spring workouts, maybe you get them involved in the spring game, the, the blue-white game at the end of the spring practices. And getting these players a head start is always a good thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be successful impact players in the fall, but it doesn't hinder their process. It doesn't hinder their, their path to being players that you can rely on. And of course, with the red shirt rule, the way that it is now, you can get some of these players to appear in up to four games next season without jeopardizing their eligibility or your, their eligibility. So, Penn State's in a really good spot, continues to be the case as James Franklin continues to do some really good stuff with the recruiting. Even in a year where you're getting another new offensive coordinator, which we'll talk about in the next segment, you know, some staff turnover is always something a bit of a question, I think, in the recruiting process. But, you know, it doesn't seem to be slowing Penn State down right now. And I think bottom line is they're having success on the field. This is the third year in the last four seasons that they will have at least 10 wins on their resume. So Penn State's in a really good spot. It continues to show in the recruiting. Obviously, you want to see Penn State get a few more of those blue chip players, those high-end five-star players, if you can potentially sign them. Let's remember, there's not a lot of five-star players out there, so it's very difficult to get those players. But Penn State continues to be uh, doing some really good stuff on the recruiting trail, getting some good talent across the board uh, at a rate that we haven't really seen from Penn State in quite some time. And I think James Franklin's done a tremendous job improving the quality of the recruiting efforts, and the results are showing as far as the rankings are concerned. So obviously, recruiting the talent is one thing. Now it's up to developing those players to reach their potential or exceed the expected potential that they have. And that's ultimately going to determine how successful Penn State is as a program in their quest to becoming a Big Ten champion 
and a college football playoff national champion. It's all about taking steps forward, and that's what James Franklin continues to do, and it all starts with recruiting. I know we're running out of time for some shopping ideas, but if you're looking for last-minute fun sports gifts for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments, and they're great for all fans. Go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn, and then search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. As Penn State heads down to Texas to get prepared for the Cotton Bowl this week against the Memphis Tigers, there's still some business that's going to have to be attended to as far as the staff is concerned. It does look like, though, at this point, the decision on who's going to be the offensive coordinator for Penn State in 2020 is going to have to wait until after this week's bowl game, which, you know, honestly, I think makes sense. James Franklin's got a lot on his plate right now, and while he may have some ideas of who he wants to be his next offensive coordinator, it makes sense to focus all of your energy at this point in time on the matchup at hand because... Memphis is a pretty good team, and I've said this before in the podcast. I'm going to say it again throughout this week. This is a good team that Penn State is taking on. you got to be fully prepared to score some points against this Memphis team because while I do think that Penn State's defense is going to be the, the strength here that ultimately decides how this game is played, I do think that it's going to be very important for Penn State to score some points, and it would definitely help to score some of those points early on in the game. So who's going to be the offensive coordinator for Penn State this week? After Ricky Ronnie has left to become the head coach at Old Dominion, James Franklin has announced that that responsibility will fall on tight end coach Tyler Bowen. He will be the man calling the plays for the offense when Penn State takes on Memphis. Again, this is while the search for an offensive coordinator will continue. I don't know if that necessarily means that Bowen is being considered for the job, but you know, certainly a good showing as the offensive coordinator could potentially help his cause. And we do know that James Franklin does like to promote from within wherever possible. He likes to defend his guys and uh, help out his guys whenever possible. So Bowen is certainly, I guess, a candidate for the job, although I don't know if this necessarily means anything as far as the future is concerned. I still think Penn State is probably better off bringing in an offensive coordinator, potentially from outside the program. But again, that's a conversation that's very likely to continue on after this weekend's Cotton Bowl. So we'll see what Bowen does bring to the table this week against uh, Memphis. We'll see how the offense looks. Ultimately, I don't think that this is going to change the way Penn State's offense is run in any stretch of the imagination. I think Bowen is certainly a guy that came over to Penn State with some influence from Joe Moorhead, the former offensive coordinator, who's now the head coach at Mississippi State considering that Bowen worked on Moorhead staff while at Fordham. So you're going, to, you're going to have some similar philosophies, I think, that are carrying over as Bowen gets a chance to call the plays here. Uh, he did come to Penn State in 2018, was previously on, like I said, Joe Moorhead staff at Fordham, previously came from Maryland. So there's going to be a lot of uh, similarities, I think, from what we've seen Penn State's offense uh, under Moorhead, under Ricky Ronnie. And I think Tyler Bowen's going to call on some of those familiar plays that we've seen. But I would not be surprised if this is an opportunity to break out some new ideas. I think bowl games in general are a good opportunity to open up the playbook a little bit. Maybe throw in a couple gadget plays, or maybe not necessarily gadget plays, but some new ideas that, and new wrinkles that we haven't necessarily seen during the regular season. Or if we have, it's been a long time, and maybe we only saw it once or twice throughout the whole course of the regular season. So I do expect that Tyler Bowen will get a chance to call some of those plays that are a little bit outside the box compared to what we've typically seen from Penn State. But bottom line is, I do think that we're going to see a lot of familiarity. And I believe it looks like Sean Clifford is going to be available for the Cotton Bowl. And I would assume that that means he's going to be the starter. I don't see any reason why he would not be the starter if, as long as he's healthy and ready to go. 
So I do think this will be a good opportunity for Sean Clifford to get back in the mix. I do wonder about switching the offensive coordinator for a young quarterback. Uh, I know, you know Sean Clifford's got a lot of experience this season, uh, but you always kind of have to wonder that, I think. And, and this is not a knock on Sean Clifford. I think about this for any young quarterback going through a, a change in offense coordinator at any point during the season uh, for any program. And especially considering that Ricky Vrani was coaching the quarterbacks as well. I think that is a, a big change to make, but I think if you're going to make that change during the preparation for the bowl game, it's certainly the best time to do it because you get all these practices with the, the coaching change already in effect. Uh, you get a chance to iron out a lot of the, the wrinkles that may still be needing to iron out as you get ready for the bowl game with a quarterback coming back from an injury with a new offensive coordinator. It's a lot of transition. It's a lot of change, a lot of catching up to do, I think, between Bowen, who was a tight end coach, and your quarterback and Sean Clifford. Orville Lovis, whoever's going to be the quarterback. I think that's just something to keep in mind as Penn State gets ready for this game against Memphis. I should also mention that offensive analyst Kirk Campbell has been promoted to be the interim quarterback coach. So he'll be the guy that's working with Sean Clifford and Will Levis uh, as far as the quarterback play is concerned. And again, I don't know if that necessarily means that Kirk Campbell is going to be a permanent fixture on that staff, although it's probably likely that he at least uh, is considered for a job. And that would especially hold true of Tyler Bowen as the guy that ends up being the offensive coordinator because you're promoting from within to fill a vacancy uh, and then so we're going to leave a vacancy elsewhere on the staff. So I, I could see that as a possibility. But again, that feels like a decision that will be made after the bowl game, seeing where Penn State goes with their offensive coordinator search. We'll spend some more time in tomorrow's episode taking a look at the Memphis Tigers and giving you my perspective from what I've seen from them throughout this season. Because as I've said before, I've seen a lot of Memphis football this season. I've done a lot of game previews and game recaps involving the Memphis Tigers for my work on over on AthlonSports.com and NBCSports.com's college football talk. So I've seen a good handful of the Memphis program this season, and I'll give you some of my uh, thoughts on them in tomorrow's episode as we start to break down who Penn State is taking on this weekend. But as far as the line movement is concerned, it looks like uh, it's held pretty steady since the matchup wasn't originally announced. I think Penn State opened up as a seven and a half point favorite according to five dimes. It quickly jumped up to nine and a half and then it dropped down back to seven, seven and a half. It's been floating around there. It got down to as little as uh, minus six and a half at one point, but it has looking like it's uh, holding steady here as uh, Penn State is a touchdown favorite against Memphis. And that kind of feels about right to me. But again, we'll talk about that a little bit more in tomorrow's episode and as the week progresses. Coming up in our next segment, I'm going to air some grievances in the spirit of the Festivus holiday. Yes, that's right. It's a Festivus for the rest of us. It's coming up next on the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Festivus. It's Festivus. When George was growing up, his father. It's nothing. It's a stupid holiday my father invented. It doesn't exist. Happy Festivus, Georgie. A new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> and at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Welcome, newcomers. <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. 
One thing that makes holiday season so great is all the different traditions that everybody has. And it seems as though the tradition of Festivus and the airing of grievances has just picked up more and more steam as years have gone by, even years after Seinfeld went off the air. And I was a big Seinfeld fan back in the day. I still think a lot of it carries weight today. And I don't think there's any more evidence that you need than the fact that Festivus is a holiday that people actually will go out and celebrate. I don't know if they necessarily get out of poll, but you'll see it all online today, the airing of grievances, and I'm gonna air some of my grievances as well. And the first thing that's always on my list is the lack of goal line camera technology in football. Now, some conferences and some broadcast partners do this better than others, but I see absolutely no reason why there should not be a goal line camera in every football stadium anytime a game is played. doesn't matter if it's on ESPN or Fox, ABC, CBS, or NBC. It doesn't matter if it is on the NFL Network or Fubo or whatever you're using to watch football. There should always be a camera. Listen, you got a phone, right? There's a camera on your phone. Have somebody holding that camera up on the goal line when you need to. Elevate them if you have to. Put them on a ladder. You don't have to go all out to make this fancy, rancy uh, way of monitoring the goal line status. You have the ability in the palm of your hand with your phone. So go ahead and get a goal line camera in every situation that you need it. Obviously, we have some problems with this, and I don't understand why this continues to be a problem. I don't understand how broadcast partners and conferences, especially conferences like the Big Ten with so much revenue that is made available to them, how do we not have guaranteed goal line cameras on both sides of this of the field, put one on both sidelines at both corners of the end zone, elevate them, have four cameras. There's no reason not to have a minimum of two cameras on the goal line or to expand on that idea put them on the first down markers you got to have the ability to see straight down the line none of these angles looking at things from a 12 degree angle at the line of scrimmage or the first down marker or the the goal line there is absolutely no reason not to have a goal line camera now pylon camera is great it gets the job done in a lot of ways and it does provide some great instant replays when the players come crashing at it but we need to expand on that idea. If we're about to go into 2020 and we still don't have mandated goal line camera technology instituted throughout college football and expand that to the NFL as well, nobody is doing it. And that needs to stop because we need to stop having these discussions about whether or not a ball crossed the line of scrimmage. Now, listen, if the ball is in a pileup, I understand. And I do think that we're going to have to get to that technology at some point in time. And I know that there are some technologies that are being worked on to maybe address some of those issues in the future. But for right now, there is absolutely no reason not to have mandated goal line cameras in every football stadium in America. So let's make that a reality in 2020. And that way I can stop complaining about the lack of goal line camera technology and these ridiculous camera angles that we're looking at on an instant replay to determine whether or not a ball crossed a single line on the, on the field. It's time to be done with that. While I'm talking about end zones, can we do away with the stupid rule where a fumble out of the end zone results in a touchback? <laughs> that is ridiculous in itself. That is one of the stupidest rules out there in football. And I want to see that addressed. I want to see that no longer be the case. If a ball goes out of the end zone uh, and the defense doesn't recover it, they shouldn't be credited for a touchback. If anything, it should be <laughs> more of a punishment on the offense. And I think that just giving the ball away and putting it on the 20-yard line is a ridiculous way to address that rule. So we need to find a way to fix that rule. That seems like a pretty simple one to fix as well. 
And to one last grievance I'm going to air with you guys. This season-long focus on the playoff picture has to stop. We need to stop talking about who is in the college football playoff in week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, week six, week seven. We have to let the season play out on its own. And at the same time, and we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, as Penn State is playing in the Cotton Bowl on noon, we need to start treating some of these other bowl games as their own individual prizes because the bowl season used to mean something. And I understand I've always been in favor of, of a playoff system, and I still think it's the best way to crown a true national champion, an undisputed national champion. But games like the Rose Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, they shouldn't be merely appetizers for the college football playoff. Yes, and I think in the grand scheme of things, from a marketing standpoint, the way that ESPN is going to roll out the advertising, that's obviously the way it's going to have to be because they have a product to sell at the end of the day. But they also have so many other products to sell as well, like the Rose Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. And we need to treat those games with the ultimate respect that they ultimately deserve as well. And I think it's a shame that all these bowl games that we're watching, especially this past weekend with a lot of the uh, the lower tier bowl games, it's all going to be focused on just serving time and filling time before we get to the main course of the college football playoff. I understand it's the big picture thing that a lot of people are talking about this time of year. But I want to see stories for these teams that are playing in these bowl games right now. I want to see them get the detention that they deserve. And I do think that there is some care given to how each of those teams got to those games. But I don't want to spend time in the middle of the second quarter or the middle of the third quarter of Appalachian State and UAB talking about Ohio State's matchup with Clemson. You know, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about those games. But I don't want to be focusing and taking away the attention that a lot of these teams playing in bowl games right now, uh, I feel, are deserving uh, of receiving. And I think that it's a shame about the bowl structure the way it is. I know there's a lot of flaws with the bowl system as it is, but that's always my biggest gripe. I want to see individual stories be shined here. And I, I want to uh, eliminate some of the, uh, the forced talk about the college football playoff in some of these other bowl games that we're talking about because there's a lot of good stories in college football. That's always my big thing. That's one of the reasons I like the group of five and watching those games as much as I do because I do think there are a lot of good stories out there. There's a lot of good players that deserve to have their story told and I think to just kind of serve it up as merely an appetizer for Clemson and Ohio State and LSU, Oklahoma in the college football playoff. While I understand the logic from a business standpoint, I think it is a true shame from the overall viewpoint of the sport of college football. Success for any team is defined differently and everybody's going to have different bars to clear. And I want to see everybody cross their own bars of success. And I want to see those stories be told and appreciated for what they are as well. Because I don't think it's all about the college football playoff or bust. I think there's a lot of good stuff going on in college football throughout the sport. And I want to see that get the spotlight that it truly deserves, especially this time of year during the bowl season. It doesn't matter what bowl game we're playing in. If you get a chance to end the game or end the season with a victory, I think that that's something to celebrate. And that's why I think the bowl game, the bowl games are really fun this time of year. So I want to stop forcing our college football playoff drive and conversation on a week to week basis. Let's reserve it for the middle of November when we can really focus on it. And let's stop spending so much time in the summer or maybe not so much the summer, but certainly in September and October, let's stop worrying about the playoff as much as we have been the last couple of years. 
And that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and starting your holiday week with this episode of the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast. If you want to get more of these episodes directly to you, make sure you're subscribing to your favorite podcasting apps such as iTunes and Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We also have an RSS feed if you want to use that to add it to any other podcasting app you may be using. But make sure you check it out. Subscribe, rate, and review. It does help promote the show on those various podcasting platforms moving forward, especially going into 2020. It's been a fun couple of months here on the podcast since I got a chance to kickstart it back up and get things rolling here. And now with the bowl week here, should be a busy week, even though we've got Christmas coming in and kind of interfering with the schedule a little bit. But we have a lot of stuff to get into this week. So make sure you don't miss a single episode by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And we also want you to be a part of the show as well. We'll do a mailbag episode later on this week, so start sending in your questions now. Best way to do that is connect with us on Twitter at Locked On Nittany. You can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Locked On Nittany. So go ahead and follow on Twitter, like on Facebook, share these posts with your friends and family, and maybe get some of your friends and family on board this holiday season. And of course, if you want to air some of your grievances, again, do that on Twitter at Locked On Nittany. Coming up in our next episode, we are going to take a look at the Memphis Tigers, the AAC champions. We'll take a look at their offensive players that you need to keep an eye on. And we'll take a look at what their head coaching situation looks like going into this game and what to expect out of them in this matchup with Penn State. So we got a lot of stuff to get into with uh, Penn State's opponent this week in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, we'll have some fun with that along the way. So until the next episode, guys, thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and go 1-0 today. Get your week started on the right foot. Uh, Maybe a short week for some of you. Maybe you're off all week. But I want to thank you guys for spending some of your time this holiday season with us on the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter as well, at KevinOnCFB. And check out my national coverage over on AthonSports.com and on College Football Talk on NBCSports.com. I will say the, the Cotton Bowl preview will be posting on AthonSports.com probably by the time you're listening to this, if not very soon after that. So I will be sure to share that link with you guys as well. So again, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'll talk to you again very soon. And until next time, talk to you later.